Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, where we deliver a variety of fresh content to help you live awesome. Enjoy the show. Engage with us online at marksdailyapple.com and on social media, and send your questions to info at primalblueprint.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. Today, one of my favorite people in the industry, as I've said many times on this show, CJ Hunt. He was previously on episodes 121 and also 267. He's the writer, producer, and host of the breakout film and the very first paleo documentary called The Perfect Human Diet. He's also author of the how-to companion guide of the same title. And he's in production on The Perfect Human Diet 2, Dispelling the Lies. And I invited him today because CJ is really the person that when I'm confronted with a conundrum about some health issue or study, I will call CJ. He usually has a wonderful answer and he's uh, got a background in investigative reporting. So we're going to talk about some of those things today. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Al. It'll be fun. Yeah. So, you know, I called you because, you know, I'll see something in the news or I'll read something in the book uh, someone wrote and it's referring to a study and making conclusions based on that. And I know you're always the guy to talk to about that. So when we were chatting about possibly doing the show, we looked into some sort of major topics, things in this world. Um, I'm not sure where we want to start here, but let's just, uh, you know, give us your intro on this because you look at things in a different way than we do. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting to me because I come at it more as a reporter and also because I've been around for a little while, I've experienced a number of um, times in dietary history where people get really excited about something and then they talk about studies that are supposed to verify it and everybody believes it. And it, you know, when it may not be true at all, so, um, that. and you were a personal, and just to share with everyone, we've talked about it on the other podcast. You can get to know more about CJ and the film and those, but you've done every modality. You basically dropped dead on a running track at the age of 18 and you've searched your life for the perfect human diet. You found it. We know what it is, or you wouldn't be on the show, <laughs> but, but, but you've been a, you were a raw vegan for like four or five years, right? Right. I mean, you've, you've been through it all. So not only have you witnessed it in our society and the reporting on all of those stages, you've also actually adopted these things yourself. Well, yeah, I did try all those things. I didn't know that a modality was dropping dead, but I'm I'm glad to be informed now that (laughs) that's a try. That's an end one I don't recommend, but, um, you know, yeah, it really did set me off on a whole new course, as we've talked about. And N equals ambulance. I say again? <laughs> N equals ambulance oh, experiments. That's, very, that's a good one. That, you should tweet that. There you go. There you go. So um, that would draw me in, if nothing else. right. <laughs> so, yeah, it's been interesting over the years because, you know, things are a lot different now, the world that we live in with Twitter and, you know, all the expansion of the internet and that anybody and everybody can say whatever they darn well want to say. And, you know, there are going to be, you know, hordes of people that believe everything that's put in front of them just because it's in print or because they see it in a tweet or something like that. And it's really unfortunate because overall, I think it just keeps us more mired in confusion, you know, and it, and it also has created a really combative society, which of course isn't good for any of us. Um, you know, it's, um, it's very litigious. It's very, uh, that's lit- litigation. 
if uh, anybody didn't know where that came from, because my dad was a lawyer, I kind of look at things. It's, well, is that true? You know, and if it is true, what do you have to prove that? So um, here, I actually, let me start off and tell you a historical story, because I have been looking at these things for so long that I think your audience will get a kick out of. Um, put up your hand if you know who Barry Sears is. And Barry Sears wrote a very popular diet book called The Zone, and then about seven other versions of The Zone after that. Um, now, Barry would tell you that The Zone is a technology, not a diet, but of course, everyone bought it as a diet. Now, when I was, it was really, really popular in around 2003, and at one time it was so popular, it, you know, kind of like what paleo and keto did, but within its own world, and it had to spread the regular television and regular newspapers and stuff like that. And so I've always been interested in this, and Dr. Sears was um, putting on a lecture at the Hyatt Sunset in Los Angeles, and he was asked about the question of scientific proof to a group of professional athletes and trainers that were attending that day. And so he said that what he didn't have any of his own studies, but what proved the zone and the theories about the zone was a dietary study published in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition that showed a diet similar to his, that when compared to the assumed healthy diet, showed an 8% improvement in insulin levels. Now, he said that was statistically significant, proving his diet worked. 8%? 8%. And I said, well, you know, stepping back, and this is another one of the things, when I dug in and I looked at that study, he said, well, he didn't tell the whole story. There was another diet in that study. And it used two-thirds fewer carbohydrates than the zone, 15% of daily intake versus the zone-like diet, which had 45%. Now, the results of the 15% carbohydrate diet showed a 46% improvement in insulin levels versus that 8%. Okay, yeah, let's stop there. Oh, my God, right? Okay, so everyone listening... This is why I call CJ. <laughs> this is why I call CJ when I'm confused. To really, you got to break down the back end of these things. And when you dig a little deeper, what? And that was left out of the puzzle. Continue. And then I have, of course, my own personal experience with the zone. Well, sure. It's, it's um, you know, it's kind of like in the Ansel Keys thing, <laughs> you know, where. Yeah, explain that to everyone and then we'll get back to the zone. But the Ansel Keys thing, if you can tie that in, because a lot of people need to know that who haven't heard about what that meant for everybody. Well, basic, basically, the, the Cliff Notes version is when he was trying to prove his dietary theory of cholesterol and heart disease, he cherry-picked and kept the countries that supported his allegation and dropped out from the report the countries that didn't support his you know, theory or his hypothesis at the time. So the thing is, is that, and I think people could say now, honestly, that he lied in order to sell a point. And he was very dynamic, apparently, and very uh, influential as a personality. And he even got the government to buy in, even though other doctors were saying, no, wait a minute, we should look at this some more. Right. And he's the saturated fat will cause heart disease. Don't eat meat and saturated fat guy. Correct. That's, 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 forever, that's just that's for everybody. The big study that was like ruined it all for many decades before we turned it around with primal paleo paradigms. That yeah. was the guy who that's started a much that description than the one I was giving. So much, <laughs> much more practical. But, you know, so this is this is just the thing is this whole there's a thing in science and, you know, and I'm sure it's true 
you know, in many areas of where, where the people with books and authors and, and whatnot is that is if there is a way of supporting whatever project that you're on, um, and if even if you knowingly know that there's something else that says, well, your diet doesn't work or it's not as effective or something like that, is there's a, uh, this tendency, and I don't know if it's a human tendency, but to leave out the stuff that's going to keep you from making a buck. And, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it, it's really a question of, of ethics, I think, you know, the, the way I was raised, that, you know, you ought to tell the truth, you know, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, like you say. And if, you know, if what thing you're selling is supported by that, then, it, you know, it shouldn't be a problem. But the problem, but the, I think the problem is, is that the news outlets, you know, we used to get, you know, the news about these kinds of studies or book releases or things like that over the wire, they called it, you know, that there'd actually be something that was kind of like the old fax machine or something that would print out, you know, a dot matrix printer where they would come out into the news from, from, from a couple of sources, sources like Reuters or whatnot. And those were, you felt confident in them that somebody had vetted them before they sent them out to you as a good news story. But now, you know, you get anything and everything. And the reporters that are on the news, as far as I can see, don't do their homework. They just read what came in because they're too busy, they think, to dig in a little deeper to find out whether what they're saying is true. I mean, it comes in on the feed. The headline from Shape Magazine comes on the feed that says, you know, low carb is horrible. And then, you know, they just read it. And you're right. They're not digging as deep and maybe not taking that journalistic approach as seriously as they did back then. Well, yeah, that's that's just it. And, you know, it's, you know, I personally don't understand it. I, You know, I'm all for you know, learning and upgrading your information if you've, you know, been in error or you didn't know something from before, but to just, you know, blatantly ignore information that that could make a difference to people that uh, in a positive way, I think is, uh, you know, it's tragic. And in some cases, you know, some would say criminal. So when you know, yeah, anyway, let's- I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. I, I, well, I, I just want to want to get back to the zone, and I want to share with everyone if if you're not aware of the zone, but it basically was eat every two, three hours, and in the spirit of keeping your insulin steady, right. which is funny because you know you didn't need to spike it in the first place to make it steady. But anyway, so okay, so it was basically like three meals and two snacks a day. They used to do a delivery program, and I only realized what my friend meant years later when he at the time was doing the delivery program and he had called them to like make adjustments a couple of times because he didn't feel like he was getting enough and my friend was working out a you know you know like light bodybuilding just like normal athletic guy and he said to me one time he goes I should god I need to call them because and he was rubbing his biceps he goes I feel like my muscles are eating themselves mm. and I was like what and I didn't even know what that meant I didn't understand what that meant I that made no sense to me it did later on talking to Mark Sisson about carbohydrate dependency and what happens if you are a sugar burner and then you don't have uh, your meal that you're prescribed to you, you're going to start to catabolize muscle. And that literally what was happening to my friend. I didn't realize it till like 15 years later, yeah, you know? Yeah. But but 2003 was the big one. And that actually was, I think, probably started my my deep dive into sugar addiction and insulin resistance and probably screwing up thyroid because I also adopted 
that. Now, let's talk about what it was really a technology for. Olympic swimmers, right? So Right, that that's how it let's got ta- famous. Yeah, so, so let's get into why it's applicable maybe for that or or what that was about to begin with. It was never meant to be for all of us. No, it wasn't. It was uh, meant to enhance uh, sports performance. And he came up with this ratio, which he called 40-30-30, which was 40% protein, 30% carbs, and 30% fat. And that that would keep you stable. And then in sports, for example, like the swim team, that uh, it was Stanford and there was another one down in uh, Irvine that were originally talked about, then they would be able to access their body fat for additional energy and you know, much like what we talk about today, but it was driven mostly by the idea that if you keep your insulin stable, then your body will access fuel wherever it needs to, right? Well, the only thing is, here's another one of those things. So I said, well, what did those swimmers really do? And as it turns out, they weren't doing 40, 30, 30. He said more than 50% because they burn so many calories and you are restricted. You cannot have more than 40% protein. You absolutely cannot. And everything else is built off of that. Well, they were eating, you you know, they needed 3,000 calories a day. And what they were doing is they used oils and fats as caloric ballast, he calls it, you know, in order to give them enough calories that would fit the model of the 40-30-30 technology, um, well, that's kind of interesting. It's like I've got this mode, I've got this technology that needs to have a uh, add-on technology well, to it. Well, yeah, it's it's just that in many cases it was fifty percent and more fat, you know. So, which of course changes all the ratios. But that was never really, you know, people just kind of ignored that stuff, or no one said, "Oh, excuse me, wait a minute, Mister Sears." You know, that's so, and, and then because they, you know, when athletes do well on something, other people think that that they're going to do well on it too. And he was able to spin it into a, uh, you know, a nutrition bar and, you know, all sorts of things and, and have a product that spun off of that, which, um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting, you know, apparently, you know, I went and spoke with some folks at a nutrition conference and it took a long time for him to come around to Lanslin. And interestingly enough, it was after the Eads had sent him a fax. Oops, maybe I shouldn't say that, um, you know, about their work and that it was based on insulin control. So then all of a sudden the zone was about insulin control. So it's like, uh, you know, there's just all sorts of shenanigans that go on in this history. And, um, you know, and it's not always the, doctor or the researcher themselves. Let me give you an example of where the reporters. Oh, by the way, I just want to. No, 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 this is great. I want to interject though, because I just was like, hmm, because I was remembering that those zone bars back then, they had soy in them, I believe. They had like some soy going on in there or something. Um, They certainly had gluten going on. And then, so I looked up zone right now. I looked up the website and interestingly enough, under the menu, they have a keto tab. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, just which just to close out the zone discussion, like that's where we ended up twenty years well, you know, later. Yeah, it, you go with the wave so you can keep getting your, um, you know, income there and feel people can think that you're a source, a good source right. for that kind of information. You know? Well, unless there's anything else to do on the zone, let's move on because I want to move through some of these categories and not to cut you off. But if there's something to finish up there, let's do that. Oh no, 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 we, the we next can move conundrum. on. In fact. You, just to show the other side of the story, you know, Walter Willett is in the news a lot, the, right. the Harvard researcher, that he was 
you know, one of the lead fellows on the Eat Lancet study that everyone went ballistic about recently, which is basically the study that came out that wants everyone to have a plant-based diet and it'll save the world. And, uh, and you probably have a more succinct way of saying that. But way back in 2003, Newsweek did a cover story, huge cover story called The Perfect Diet Beyond the Fads, What Science Tells Us About Food and Health. Now, the, the art, that article, the bottom line, centered on Walter Willett's healthy eating period pyramid that he devised and his colleagues at the Harvard School of Public Health, right? So it significantly altered the USDA food pyramid, and uh, the most amb- they called it the most ambitious but still controversial alternative effort to date by researchers building a more perfect diet model for Americans without waiting for the U.S. government to do it. And the big controversy was really about calorie-rich vegetable oils at most meals, making them a much larger part of the daily diet. And, uh, you know, everyone was fat phobic, so that you would think that would be controversial at the time. And then the other thing is he talked about high glycemic food sources. And he said, absolutely, religiously, no potatoes. And they wanted people to choose what they considered healthier foods and healthier fat sources and whole grain products and instead of processed versions like white bread and white pasta. And, um, and also reduce saturated fats, which he wanted people to do, eliminate fast foods and moderate use of butter and choosing leaner meats over red meats, which is kind of an old story now for us. And this is what the article was centering on, the things that they believed should be um, advised to have a healthier life. And so my thought was, well, here, you got this great scientific article, and now it's going to start to get, we're finally starting to get some solid answers, and it's going to be less confusing. And no, (laughs) but here's why. Let me set this up. Dr. Willett makes a point of emphasizing clearly that several starchy and sugary modern staple foods, most people eat every day in large quantities, right, are a huge part of the obesity and excessive weight problem in America. Now, again, specifically potatoes and white rice, white bread, pasta, sweets. And he points out that it's not just calories we need to be concerned with, but the composition of the foods. So here's the problem. As the article's drawing to a close, the authors stop reporting. They actually denounce Dr. Willett's specific directions and prescribe their own expertise as the authority. And here's what they said. Quotes now. But for most people... The most helpful strategy is simply to boycott junk by giving up processed foods in favor of whole ones. Almost any American can shed several hundred calories a day. Even the baked potato, one of Willett's bugaboos, is a better nutritional value than almost anything that comes in a package. And it didn't even stop there, Elle. They said, eaten with the skin on the baked potato, it provides a full belly, a dozen vitamins and minerals, and as much fiber as a bowl of oatmeal all for 150 calories. So here it is. It's And 64 grams of carbohydrates, everybody. Just FYI on that one. Well, we yeah, don't really care about how many calories it is. Yeah, so it's very interesting. Well, that in, and that the editors that were supposed to be looking at that stuff let it go through because it's supposed to be about Willett's recommendations. And then the writer says, no, I like potatoes. <laughs> so <laughs> That's right. I don't want, I don't want to have this tr- be true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, so potatoes are yeah. okay. And they print it, you know, and at the time, again, you know, those are the kind of stories that end up on the national news and we didn't have the internet. 
right, like we do today, in order to kind of share these things. But you might get a kick out of this. You know, the, the Eat Lancet controversy that came up recently and the World Health Organization dropped their support of that. Um, and it's because of... And again, give us a quick synopsis of the Eat Lancet program. Well, you basically, you know, 18 guys got together and over three years supposedly were looking at the kind of dietary changes necessary in order to be healthy and save the planet, you know, in a nutshell. So their recommendations are ultimately that everyone, and realistically, that everyone basically become, eat a plant-based diet, that they all become. That's just so they can keep the meat to themselves. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're probably right. But they, uh, you know, it's, it, I mean, that's really it in a nutshell. And of course, they put together their dietary recommendations were just, you know, crazy. The kind the, that uh, the kinds of nutri- nutrient deficiencies you would experience if a 20, you know, for a man, they had the example of 2,500 calories and then they list the foods. And, you know, it's a piece of meat the size of your small finger. You know, it, it's the, the, the kind of measurements that you, you just drop your jaw. You go, wait a second. This this is not good. But I thought what you might like after the last story was that when you look at their list of recommended foods, you know, outside of the fact that the, their mission goes on to make the rest of us plant eaters, is that potatoes are now featured at the top of the list mm. of one of the foods that you should be <laughs> eating, you know, in order to save the planet, you know, and be healthy. So, right. I mean, that's the one that popped out to me because everybody else is getting all upset about the people that support it and don't support it and the nutritional deficiencies and things like that. And I said, well, wait a second. So it's like a panel of 18 guys that got together and it was like, everybody should be vegetarians. Yeah, that's basically what it is. I mean, I forget who all the sponsors were. There were a lot of um, food companies that sponsored it. It's sponsored by soy milk. Yeah. No. Well, and it comes out of a foundation in Norway that's run by some billionaire folks that, you know, believe in vegetarian and veganism. And uh, well, and you know, I'm glad you mentioned that. And we've talked about in the last podcast, we will again later when we talk about your sequel. But you know, when you have people like James Cameron, with the level of money that he has in order to create influence, money is influence. And so, you know, that's why these people are coming out with either their own studies or their own documentaries that, you know, are skewed. And we'll talk about that. Um, Let's, I want to, let's, Let's segue into, and with all respect, I've interviewed Dr. Stephen Gundry a couple of times. I like him very much. I think his contribution to society is amazing. But I was a little bit shocked that uh, the last time I spoke with him, he mentioned that he was a pretty much vegetarian the entire week, but he and his wife finished off about a liter of olive oil every week, and then they (laughs) ate shellfish on the weekends. And he went into the blue zones. And then, you know, Ben Greenfield recently at, at, at FitCon as well was talking about the blue zones. And there are some really interesting factors among the blue zones they chose. But because the blue zone thing was getting brought up again, and I'll have you kind of synopsisize for everybody what the blue zone study was, um, it's come up recently. And so that's why I called CJ because I was like, I want to go through this and really look at what's going on here with the Blue Zones, because a lot of people, including Dr. Gundry and some other people in the space, have just brought it back up, and so let's talk about it. Well, yeah, it is kind of interesting. I mean, it really grew out of the demographic work done by a couple of fellows, and I don't know if I'm saying his name right, but Gianni P.E.S. and Michael Hulan, and in the Journal of Experimental Gerontology, 
gerontology. And what they did is they identified Sardinia as the region of the world with the highest concentration of male 100-year-olds, centenarians, as they say. Um, and what they did is they drew concentric blue circles on a map highlighting those villages where extreme longevity began, you know, where they found extreme longevity. And they, be, they began to refer to this area inside the circle as the blue zone. Now, a fellow named um, uh, oh, Dan Burnell, I guess, let me find his last name. Anyway, I always think of people with their, their first names. Dan Butner, thank you, B-U-E-T-T-N-E-R. So he you know, was an explorer of sorts and did a lot of work with National Geographic. And when this kind of work came out, what they did is they teamed up and with some other epidemiologists and demographers, and they wanted to find more places that people lived to be a ripe old age that were, and they ended up calling them, and I guess Dan came up with the idea of calling them the blue zones, and um, where they would have the highest concentration of these, again, male Centenarian, centenarian. <laughs> Say that for me, please. It's not my word of the day, right? Super centenarian or centenarian? Yeah, 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 tough yeah. one. So, in the- centaur, half man, half goat, whatever. We're horse. There you <laughs> it go. Matter. So, I mean, the places they picked were Okinawa, Japan, and Sardinia, Italy, and Nicoya in Costa Rica, and Acaria in Greece, and of all places, Loma Linda, California. And that's not because it stuck out in their travels and expeditions um, like these other places did. It's because Dan, um, Dan Bootner, the Blue Zones founder, thought they needed to find a place in the United States where there were also a lot of old folks, 100-year-old folks. So they found them in Loma Linda, you know, the home of the Adventists church and where they had been doing studies for a long time, epidemiological studies um, on their membership because they believed uh, from a religious perspective that it was important that they follow a biblically-based diet. And they eat also something called textured vegetable protein. They do now. You know, it's, it, in, in the modern times, they started coming up with other kinds of foodstuffs. So back in the day, they were what, just all plant-based, like raw vegan or just... Well, you know, that's what appears when you look at the historical um, on their site where they grew from and how the church bought this property because it had been failed as a a health uh, place previously. And mind you, when they bought the property, there was nothing out there in Loma Linda. Loma Linda is about halfway from Palm Springs or, you know, to Los Angeles. And in those days, there was nothing out there but rolling hills. And it was known for their orange groves. It was like Riverside, California was at the time. And it was a pretty remote, and you would think of it as kind of a health resort retreat circumstance. And they went there and they ultimately built a hospital and they ultimately built a university and centered around a lot of their spiritual beliefs um, because they believed that people ought to take care of their bodies in this way based on biblical you know, commands um, to eat primarily a plant-based diet. And... Um, you know, and then and they just started keeping records of that. Now, eventually, some of that was published, and it caught the um, you know eye of the news. And all around the world, they kind of went crazy for this Adventist health study. And um, 
basically because they had this this pitch line that vegetarians would live longer than meat eaters. And, you know, that's kind of what caught everybody's eye. And, you know, it's um, so that's really kind of the blue zone things. I don't know why they're going back to that unless they're circling back to something that a lot of people may not have been exposed to in our community um, that looks towards diet and other lifestyle factors that have brought these people unique health. That's right. Like community, you know, and, um, so many other things walking in the Hills, maybe all the citrus around with the citrus pectin (laughs) helped out with a lot of, a lot of things cellularly. Um, and also I want to throw this out, you know, and Lauren Cordain, who, you know, the OG grandpa of paleo, who was in your movie and I interviewed, uh, this year, you know, he said the super centarians are from Iowa because they ate a lot of pork. Okay? <laughs> so, I mean, where was that in the zone? Was that a blue zone? <laughs> was that a red zone for that yeah. study? No, no, no. Um, only Loma. Right. And so it's not to say that there aren't things to look at in these cultures and communities that are important factors and probably, if anything, maybe – you know, health, uh, healthier spiritual connection with family involvement, me walking, um, you know, less crazed world back then. They're probably not on doing TV and, you know, uh, Instagram lives and stuff. So a lot less stress. There's so many things to adopt from these categories, but again, in just looking behind it, and you were saying to me that, um, there needs to be more convincing evidence in that study anyway. Well, yes. Well, if you go to, Loma Linda's website and they're talking about the guy that uh, their longevity legacy and you know within the article on their own website you you know you scroll down they're talking about all the great things that have happened and the church is really excited because they're able to influence policy and uh, you know in politics and uh, what they believe is a way for people to live healthier and all that but then you get down um the fellow that's running it now, let me find this quote so I can get it exactly right. Um, so in terms of the science world, they say their study is well-known, highly regarded, and has had an impact. But the fellow that's running it now. But even though we've provided a lot, there's still more to come. We need to provide more convincing evidence that goes beyond statistical associations and starts to look at mechanisms. So here they are basically saying, well... This alone doesn't cut it, even though we've been preaching it for 150 years, you know, that so they're basically calling themselves on it, that if we want to continue to remain credible, we just can't do these statistical associations like other studies that we've run into, you know, over the last few years than that you and I have talked about. It's um, so I think that's really interesting that Loma Linda themselves, if you dig a little deeper <laughs> and, right. and, you know, bother looking through those, uh, those, you know, their history a little deeper, then you can find, well, you know, they they still tout it as being perfect, but they have a whole, you know, they have a whole list of other motivations than other kinds of, uh, folks, you know, they, because they believe it in it as their faith. Sure. If the religion if associated religion. with it, then there's a new element there. Right. right. Enough. Uh, we all get that one. Right. Um, so, but, okay, let's but, but go just ahead. before you, before you go, this, uh, Dan Bootner was recently, uh, in fact, last month interviewed by NBC. They have an online magazine called better. And, and it's interesting because 
and I don't know what Ben talked about and other people on the Blue Zone, but it seems to me that people keep coming back to, well, it's the diet, it's the diet, it's the diet. And they don't really focus on those other lifestyle areas that you were just mentioning. So, and here's what he had to say, you know, the founder of the whole Blue Zone thing. In all five of these zones, the reason they're living long is not because of one special diet or one other thing. They're living longer because of a cluster of mutually supporting factors that enable residents to do the right things long enough and avoid doing the wrong things long enough so as to lower risk of developing a chronic disease. So like with the low... Right, that's from the author. That's from the author. That's right? from the guy. And, yeah. you know, it's like with Loma Linda... If you, do, if, you look, if you look at the fine print at the bottom... Well, yeah, like with Loma Linda, they don't drink coffee. You know, they... they, they have all these other things that seem, you know, relate to a lot of the ways dietarily like the Mormons have, but they also just hang out with each other, you know? So in their social situations, they aren't challenged to what they called later in this article cheat, you know, that they, they all are re they reinforce the, the desire to stay on board with that because they're hanging out with all their fellow church members, you know, and all their, you know, so it's interesting in that way. And, and the one other thing I really wanted to mention is that when are these epidemiological studies, and it, it has come up over and over again, and even on the Loma Linda site, and it said the first, the beginning of a sentence says, genetics aside, dot, dot, dot. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying, well, wait a second. It's like you and I, through the lens of an evolutionary perspective, is that people all over the world, you know, have adapted to the lifestyle and the foods that they've had there for millennia. Right. Why is the uh, 90-year-old woman I see with the cigarette hanging out of her mouth just still kicking it after all those years, but yet, you know, someone else uh, gets gets it, you know, 40 years prior and gets nailed to a coffin? So, you know, I mean, it's like certain things just defy, right? Uh, some people they're just wow. Well, okay. yeah, yeah. They're just they're just the uh, outlier, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah, they you know they had you know a quart of whiskey every day and they smoked like you know like nonstop and there you go and then they lived to be ninety nine. It's like there's just no no explaining it. Lucy, as Ricky Ricardo used to say. <laughs> oh, you're dating yourself. I know. Oh, you are dating yourself. Um, we'll have to get you some more updated references for the kids out there. Uh, I know, <laughs> I know. When so, stuff comes out, I kind of go, oops. I had a, my friend, and he interviewed you on the Disruption Zone, Leland Conway, and he's gotten in this primal life, too. We're going to have him on. We've already interviewed him. He's going to be on the show. He He called me about this Shape Magazine article, and then I know that you know, we, we were both like, we need to talk to CJ. So, Shape <laughs> so, here's the, so here's the headline. It was a February Shape Magazine article. And the quote was, restrictive dieting may shorten your life. So that's bad news for keto dieters. Yeah. Let's you look know, at that. And, and what happened there? The well, if you step, stepping back and you look at Shape Magazine, and no, no, I don't know that anyone ever clicks on the name of the author uh, for these things to see what else have they written <laughs> And that's a can, great tip, by the way. Thank you. That's another thing for us to do our own investigative moves on articles. Well, great, that's just great, it. great point. Because it, it can, in some cases, show a, a really strong bias. And so you got to figure whatever they're writing about is going to continue to have that bias. And they're just kind of tweaking it in one way or another for their particular new article that they're writing. 
but this this thing was really really kind of amazing. It, it, well, when you let me go through it, let me break it down for you. So the bigger claim was that keto dieters would have a shorter lifespan span, and that what they did is they regurgitated a six month old study that already got international attention bashing low carb, now using it to go after the popular keto diet, right? So they're right because it's just an extra version of low carb. So they're like, why don't we just take this thing that was trashing low carb to begin with, and then we just transfer it over here. Right, exactly. And so that headline that generated so much media attention, it was a statistical calculation in the paper, which resulted in the claim that eating too few or too many carbs would shorten your life. So there again, a statistical calculation not based on hard science. You know, it's another one of these epidemiological kinds of... Well, and, and can you break that down for us in fourth grader terms on what you mean about how he came to that conclusion? Because you're throwing out that term, but, you know, we're not in the biz. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I can actually lead you right through it. If I just, I'll just go down through the, the whole thing and it'll make sense in its position. This, these are just kind of like the bullet notes of what we'll go through. So, but what gets me is that these kinds of articles present themselves as journalism, but it's opinion presented as fact, right? They had only two links to observational studies, which we'll talk about. And the other links in the articles linked to other writers at Shape magazine that felt the same way that she did, and that those were proof of a claim or statement that she made within the article. Okay, wait, that sounds crazy. So can you repeat that? Because it feels like that's insane. Sure. In, in her effort to prove her, you know, hypothesis that this, you know, eating meat's going to kill you and that you ought to be, not be doing that, she linked to the observational studies that were mentioned in being used as justification for the article. But there were more links that more than the two observational studies, they went to other shape articles and other shape writers, just so happened they all turned out to be ladies, that were proof of the claim or statement. So they're using themselves as evidence of proof for the article. Well, which I love because they're not dead yet. Like, so, right? Living the longest, like, shorten your life. Like, how do we know? You're not... I mean, unless you're 95 as an article writer, you might have some weight to carry. Do you see where I'm going with that? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, um, you know, it's kind of flabbergasting. Really. Were they saying because keto, you have to do more calories, therefore you can't calorie restrict? And since calorie restriction is known for longevity, therefore... Well, her real beef is with restrictive diets. So she thinks keto is a restrictive diet. And she just found other stuff to Right, so it. she's just blanketly saying... You know, it's too restrictive, and I'm just going on the theory and notion of philosophy of restrictive being too harsh for life and go live a better, more, I don't know, variety of foods existence. Right, right. All right, well, that's not really enough to claim that keto people are going to die young. Right, and then the study that they did reference was from The Lancet called Dietary Carbohydrate Intake and Mortality. There you go, back to the Eat Lancet, right? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it was made from questionnaires from following middle-aged men and women in four communities who completed this. They completed the questionnaire at enrollment into something called the arterial Arterial motives. Thank you, risk in communities, the AIRC study, they called it. So they were queried on their diet only twice, 1987 to 89 and 1993 to 95 after which they were assumed 
to have continued eating exactly the same way for the next 15 years. So, yeah, I mean... Yeah, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's just starting, so, starting it's, to get depressing. <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, um, yeah. and well, then they, I, they say yeah. that's good enough. Right, that's good enough. Okay, so, and that's just, it, this is, so, I hope everyone's enjoying this episode because this really, you know, with all the headlines thrown at you, I'm sure, especially if you've gone paleo prime when you know people that are against it, they're probably constantly selling you articles. Like, it's so many interesting, you know, like uh, direct messages from people like, aren't you worried about that? I'm like, not at all. Oh my gosh. Um, so, let's talk about the, your experience uh, on TV and with uh, reporting. Oh. Uh, <laughs> that uh, with your news director, because this is, you know, CJ on the other side of the camera being the person reporting out this stuff back in the day. And tell us uh, what happened there. Yeah, I was a reporter in Bangor, Maine, you know, in a at an ABC station. And, you know, I was having fun. I was just getting started there. And, and when you do special reports, you try to come up with something clever. And every year there was a um, publication from the Center of Science in Public Interest, our friends, the vegans and vegetarians. But basically, they put out a list of the 10 worst and the 10 best foods for you. And it always gets national attention. So we're Channel 7, so of course, me being clever, I said, well, the seven best foods and the seven worst foods for you. So I, <laughs> I worked on this, you know, story and the actual report said as i recall number one was top ramen noodles and number two was mcdonald's french fries and it's been so long i don't even remember what the other one was but it's um um th this whole list of foods that they thought were bad for you and of course mind you that story it played all over the news on the national news within the last couple of days before me wanting to do the story in our local market and I finished the story and apparently someone in the advertising department saw it and called it to the attention of my news director, who then came to me the day it was supposed to air after I built it all weekend and saying, well, you have to pull out the McDonald's one because McDonald's is an advertiser. Now, <laughs> this should never happen in news. You know, that, that the news department and the advertising department are supposed to be completely separate that's right. And if you report against them and they decide to drop their advertising funds with you, then so be it. But the journalistic ethical standard by which you have you should be um, adopting is totally against. That's yeah. Yeah. Well, it's just crazy making because, mind you, it's from an actual report that's already been covered in the national news everywhere. <laughs> you know, you know, in those days, it's, if it was today, it'd be David Mueller. Right. You know, and back then it was somebody else, but uh, Robert Mueller, right? Yeah. Oh, there you go. Robert Mueller. No, David Mueller, the guy from ABC. Oh, that guy. The, okay. The, yeah. Sorry. I was like, I was like, who's that guy? Too many Mullers. Yeah. yeah. Too many reports. Oh, <laughs> too that's much right. oh, that's right. They do sound alike, don't they? Yeah, so, right. um, and it's just as crazy. So it's the, it's this kind of a thing that is so unethical that, you know, to want you to yank that particularly since, it was okay to leave in the products that were not advertisers with a station. You know, how wrong is that? <laughs> yeah, go bash those guys, but they're not buying commercials from us. And the odds of our local McDonald's getting upset about that are, you know, next to nothing. It's a, it was just a real teller to me about how that current news director, you know, handled it. And shortly thereafter, I left the news, particularly for those kinds of ethical problems. You know, and also because 
with the news if it bleeds, it leads. And it's, you know, the more horrific it is, the, you know, it'll make the opening of the show. So I just wasn't built that way. Yeah. Um, no, it's fascinating. Um, so let's kind of finish up. I want to talk about some of your experiences delving into the world of like vegan diet studies and vegetarian diets. Is there something that pops out to you as as far as the claims? I mean, I know that James Cameron's new film claims that, right? Uh, I believe you, you, we talked about it claims that, you know, oh, you know, eating meat will screw up your testosterone and like completely, you know, the exact opposite of what we know. But, um, there's some crazy claims out there. Let's talk about those. Well, yeah, they, they basically advertise it as dispelling the myth that, and I haven't looked at their poster for a little while, but it, it, you know, something like the, the, anyway, the, the myth that meat and animal foods are necessary for health, strength, and sports performance. And from what I was able to read, because it has not had wide um, viewing so far, it's been traveling around to different international film festivals, um, reading the reviews and whatnot, and the things that they said made it look looks as though it's very consistent with the other vegan and vegetarian films making the same kind of claims about health and the environment. Now, they, the premise, when I read up on the fellow that uh, was kind of the star, he was a you know, MMA fighter, and I'm sorry, I don't remember his name now, but um, who got injured. And then when he got injured, he went and looked on the internet to figure out what he could do to get healthier faster. And he found, you know, the Roman, um, you know, the, the Roman, uh, uh, not just army, but the, the, the fighters in the, uh, in the Colosseum that he believed that the primary element of their diet was plant foods, you know, oats and things like that, which, you know, when you dig into that, that's not true either. So therefore, so, so he had a belief about a myth about a way of eating for gladiators, essentially. Yes, that's it. He, he decides, that's well, I do, okay, this I is fascinating. I love this. This is going to get good. I was just on the other night. I should have remembered that. So, um, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it, you know, so the thing is, is then he starts with that premise and then along comes James Cameron and the director that uh, has done a couple of other Oscar winning films. And, you know, they put together this, you know, propaganda piece basically to sell, sell these ideas. And it's, um, you know, it's, it's unfortunate in a lot of ways. And they did, they did write and make some quotes about that. Oh, I'm sorry. I remember this. It's they, they tested the testosterone theory by taking some young volunteers in college age, you know, they're 21 ish or whatever. Anyway, high testosterone. Yep. That, that you would think so. And they had them eat, you know, a vegetarian or vegan diet for a day or two. And they put some kind of contraption on their crotches that would measure erectile function you know, overnight when they went to sleep and oh my gosh, yeah, yes. When they were eating vegan and vegetarian, they were supermen. <laughs> okay. So three days and some clamps on your junk. I need to see what kind of device <laughs> this is ridiculous. That uh, you know, is, okay. But just, this sounds insane to me. It sounds insane to me. So some, well, that age, it doesn't really matter what you eat for most people. So, 
<laughs> yeah. Okay. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And also just measuring something that's a fluctuation in three days or, you know, even a week or so is not enough to draw the conclusion that your, your, um, private parts are going to fall apart if you're a guy that's following a paleo paradigm. Now, uh, you know, I hike on James, James Cameron's property in Malibu all the time. I got to give him credit. It's beautiful. Uh, it's, and we're allowed to, I'm not trespassing when I say that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I, um, just, I stalk James Cameron. Yeah. And he's done a lot of great movies, but this movie that's coming out, I mean, listen, just for everyone that knows, you know, he and his wife are vegan. They're pushing that in Australia to try to change the schools to go vegan. They're 100% vegan, right? Yes. Last time I looked at Yeah. And and so one of the things, too, aside from this testosterone thing, which really sounds insane, and I, I'd love to see what their evidence is, um, but also this notion that it's harmful to the environment. And I've talked about this before with, you know, Paul Grease from Primal Pastures. And um, so you get the one side in these movies that say, you know, but we're talking about not Temple Grandin designed pasture raised farms. We're talking about the cows and the meat and what's happening from that disgusting side of the road looks like a nuclear waste plant, you know, nuclear like bomb went off and just a bunch of cows and muddy, disgusting crappy soil and they're all mooing and I mean that's like the, the kind of the finishing lots that yeah they the, the big cow feed feedlots. lots yeah. yeah the big feed lots and that's so different yes they are contributing to some some things that are not health, healthy health, healthy for our environment but the pasture raised animals are you know and I, they're just not even looking at that other side of it you know yeah if you feed a cow grains that's not its DNA diet it's going to have a lot of gas <laughs> And so do I. If I <laughs> grains, beans, and right? And so do we. The, they found that that's really burps they were worried about, not oh, was it? You know, farts, yeah. <laughs> well, farts, either way, the releasing of gas, right, in some kind of way, like this releasing of and. But again, if you have a healthy animal that's pasture raised, not only is it healthy for the actual soil and the environment, and there's no antibiotic runoff and junk, but they're also eating their native diet. And I mean, wow, what a difference! They don't even bring that up. So then. Celebrities and people yeah, jump on well, the bandwagon of meat is bad for the environment. What can you say on this well, for when we get that objection from people? Well, the, I think the thing that's interesting in this is that you say that they don't even validate or acknowledge the fact that pasture raised and uh, is better than commercially raised for the environment is that they actually go out of their way. In fact, there was an article I saw with the two kids that I call them kids, <laughs> the two young men that did what the health and where they actively come out to try to preemptively, you know, squash anybody's potential belief that the, the regenerative agriculture, because it involves animals could have any validity at all. You know, so, you know, I haven't looked at the article in a while, but they, they basically said, well, none of that's real, too. And it, it's basically fakery from the animal industry to try to get us to accept animals in any way, shape or form. So it's uh, so they're saying that my argument, I'm just on the it, other side. But but it's just I, logical, though. It's like this animal has a DNA that requires it grazes on grass um, and you're doing a whole science project with it. And that, and you're calling the other wrong. That makes no sense. That's just right. Like, what what was there before that cows roamed on grassy plains? <laughs> like, well, what? sure, sure. It's just no. been, you know, with the growth of populations and trying to feed people, you know, the rapidly expanding um, 
populations in the cities and whatnot that went away from the farms. You know, you had to figure out how to get a lot of stuff into the town as fast as you could to take care of those people. Now, mind you, I don't know if it's always been true within the industry, but the, the takeaway I get now from the meat industry communications are is that they they really sincerely believe that they're doing their best to help people. And they also are doing whatever they can do to um, make the way they raise and uh, process animals and everything you know, healthier for the planet and more sustainable and all of that. Um, something that the commercial side really isn't getting any credit for. There's a lot of work there as far as moving towards whatever standards they can improve towards uh, providing a healthier uh, product for us. Because well, the us. demand is growing. The demand yeah, is growing, really growing now. It is. You see grass fed everywhere. I just saw. I saw the other day. I was like, "Oh, grain! A new new company that's doing grain free chips." Hello, <laughs> you know. Hello, people getting on board. You know what I'm saying? Siete was probably the first one. It's just like gluten free. You know, people say gluten free pork. I said, "Well, pork never had gluten." You know, you see this. Yeah, did you feed it yeah. oats? I don't want a pig eat oats. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all sorts of stuff like that. What so, else What else in the world of, um, I mean, we talked about the testosterone and the environment. What are some other, uh, now someone in your film, man, you went to, <laughs> I love The Perfect Human Diet. I have watched it like four times, seriously, even recently. I just love that film so much. It holds up everybody. We'll tell everyone at the end how to how to see it, but it's, it's on Hulu, Amazon, it's everywhere, but it's great. And you go to like a vegetarian expo, right? Okay. The world <laughs> vegetarian conference in San Francisco. Right. And the girl is selling some soy jerky, which I just think it's funny. Um, but, uh, she mentioned something about how like, Oh, our digestive tract, like she drops some fake science about our digestive tracts. Can you, can you talk right. about that argument right. she, that they often yeah. make? Right. Right. Because she said, we're not eat, we're not carnivores, were plant eaters. And that's where the, in the film it rolls over to Dr. Eads, who explains the difference between herbivores and carnivores, because she said, said, you know, there were herbivores, you know, that we're not supposed to be eating meat. What's their so argument for that? Because I know well, the legit science, but I mean, what, what, what's, what do they have to say that is their claim? That it's well, not. There, there's a number of different ones, but like uh, <laughs> right, because no, it <laughs> well, one, if it's a wrong is, answer, it can't be consistent. <laughs> well, it's like even in, in the Game Changers, apparently they bash paleo because they say, well, at paleo we were eating mostly vegetables. Well, there we talked about this before. There, humans weren't around then. <laughs> Those were ancient, ancient ancestors that you know came out of the trees and started you know eating bone marrow and whatnot. But that that's the only place they can go to try to justify an argument. Or they say our teeth. Well, look, we've got molars. It's really meant for grinding and crushing, you know, uh, nuts and seeds and grains and things like that. And we don't really have canine incisors, you know, in, in our mouth. Yeah, so that's one of the things. Or we have a long intestinal tract, so therefore it's meant to give uh, enough time to you know process the food and absorb it. Um, what do we have? To, what do they have to say though about the B twelve? Um, I've seen a couple of different ones, and one is that well, yeah, but because you can take a pill now. That makes it all okay. But that goes against the argument of it being inherent in us as humans. So how do they cross that bridge to try to justify that? You know, they lean so heavily on the ethical side that... So they just drop the ethical side whenever something doesn't logically, scientifically match. Right. Well, plus they say, well, now we're, we're, we have evolved enough that 
even though if that's the way it was, we can do something different now. Right. But if they're saying, if you look at the anatomy of a human, we are designed to solely be plant eaters, herbivores, okay, which is kind of the same as a cow, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> which has four stomachs to do that job. Um, and the longer intestinal tract. I mean, obviously omnivore to some degree, but but we are carnivores, right? I mean, essentially that's the, the, the I mean, we don't have like wolf teeth. Okay. But um, it's just interesting to me that they'll, they'll make that anatomy claim. Well, and our, and our jaws but then don't. When the yeah. B, but then the B12 thing goes, well, but we can supplement now. But yes, but that's about a, an actual choice you're making, not a, about a choice based on science. Right, and your physiology. Right, your way, physiology. Way, yeah. So that's okay. You know, and there's, you know, a whole... <laughs> so it's all okay. It's very funny, but it's very interesting. Yes, yeah, so little Nikki got all upset by that. <laughs> Thanks, Oh, Nick. see, yeah, because he's yeah. a carnivore. And that's right. He really says, I don't want to hear that nonsense. Well, plus, just think about it with the whole mouth argument. Our jaws don't rotate in the way, if that's the right word, as you see a cow chewing cud, right? It's... it's, it's it's not straight up and down. It's around and around and around. And, you know, so the way they crush grains, you know, and grasses or whatever else they're fed is not the same as what happens with humans. But there, you know, there's a whole list of things that don't come from plants that are best for us. You know, we in the meat, you got carnosine, you got carnitine, you got taurine, you got retinol. And unbelievable. What happens when you turn off you're an alarm because you're on a show and it goes off anyway. So it means you have an old apple. So, um, yeah, so there are so many things that are more well-absorbed. Right, the amino acids, right, also. So you've got to do a lot of supplementation. And and, and by the way, I just want to let everyone know, I have also said this before, it's a choice. Do what you got to do. Do what you want to do. Just do it as carefully and as smart as you can you know what I mean? If you're going to make that choice. Well, no, I agree. Because it's a choice, but but there are things that are going to be lacking and you want to do it right. Um, or you're going to be out of breath and low energy and, um, you know, but yeah, so these, so anyway, we've got a lot of these films, you know, and we've discussed this before in the podcast that are coming out making these claims. I, I will mention it again. I had just done a documentary, Headhunt Revisited, which you can go to the website to see that if you'd like. But the reason I mention it is because it's about uh, Papua New Guinea and Melanesia. And like three minutes into Fork Over Knives, they mentioned that one of the healthiest, you know, longest living people are the Papua New Guineans because they don't eat high fat. They really mm. do, though. Um, they're, all, they're living off of coconut. I mean, maybe not now. There might be some introduction of like, you know, rice and grains at this point. But really, they're living off of coconut and, you know, pigs. And, and, and high fat um, and low carb, you know, and similar right. to kind of like the Hawaiians, you know, where maybe their only starch was like taro root or something, but, you know, they were um, out there in the sun and, you know. Killing. Well, and it's, it, it's the same thing like we talked about with Keys and with the, the zone um, event is that they're, they're being selective in what they choose to focus on that helps support their hypothesis. Right, or drawing a whole you know. conclusion about a culture based on something that, again, and this is why you dig deeper, and we could probably go on forever, but on that note, this is why 
we need CJ. This is why the paleo community needs CJ because, and I really, everyone, let's talk first about the first film in terms of tell people where we can go see The Perfect Human Diet, the first paleo documentary that you, and there's also a book as well by the same name, but where can people right now uh, check out the film? Um, it's on iTunes worldwide and it's subtitled in 13 languages. It's on Google Play and it's on Vimeo and it's on uh, YouTube and it's on Hulu. So if you've got Hulu or Amazon Prime, you can see it essentially for free, technically, because you're already a member. And um, and then, of course, if you just Google it, it'll it'll show up. But those are the, the main uh, players that have it right now. Right. And but that came out how many years ago? It came out technically January 2013, a few days before. So, you know, so places it says 2012. But then people think it's a, an extra year old. But where it really... Uh, it did come out on the 21st of December, 2012, digitally, which is the real main release of the film. It had been available for a short time on DVD earlier. Um, but then it went, uh, it was started out in six countries and uh, went to number one in the USA and Canada for over a week. Like we said, thanks to mentions by Mark. Sisson and Rob yep, Wolf. Yeah, Mark and gave it incredible reviews. So does Rob Wolf. Everybody, we and I remember watching it then and loving it. And I quote you and quote people from your film in my book. Um, so yeah, well, you know, yeah, it's just really, uh, it's just really nice that so many people have responded so well. And I, I still get literally this week. I've had two or three people write me through, you know, the website and say, wow, I had no idea. Thank you so much. You know, that kind of thing. And it's kind yeah, of I know people it's that, heartwarming. I, I've met strangers that randomly had a conversation where I found out they're paleo and I go, oh, what, what led you into paleo? And someone literally responded, I saw some documentary called The Perfect Human Diet and it just made so much sense. I changed my whole life. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> like they didn't, even, they didn't even know who Marx is. They didn't know any of the other stuff. They just, that's the only thing. Um, it also really is a great film to show family members or anyone who really are going to grasp it. And that's the thing about documentary film. And that's why it's so great. And this is the way that I grasped Paleo Primal initially was watching Mark do his two-hour seminar, you know, essentially, right? right. And, right. and because it's the way that, that really just it seeped in. So everyone should go see The Perfect Human Diet. And then also let's talk about, you know, you're currently in production for coming up with a sequel in order to combat these what the health, you know, game change, all these different vegan films and vegetarian films that are coming out. Um, well, and I guess it's, it's not necessarily like a negative fight, but more of a, hey, we need to present our side of it. Um, and we have so much more science on our side. Well, we have yeah, all of I it mean, on our side. When it comes to health and science, they don't stand a chance. They don't know, stand a chance. And so that's yeah. why I want to, you know, first of all, everyone needs to see the first uh, documentary, but the sequel the Perfect Human Diet too. where can we go to donate to the film and find out more about it? Because there's a lot of information. Um, if they want to donate, they can go to dispellingthelies.com. Um, and there's a, a link on my website, too, you know, CJ Hunt Reports or, or theperfecthumandiet.com. They all have links that goes to go to it. And I can give you a link to the show for the show notes that have um, just goes straight to the donation page. so They don't have to read through all the justification. Um you know, um, but that's it, dispellingthelies.com, and that's the best place right now. I'm really looking forward to to this, and I know um, 
I know it's going to be right, even just 10 times better than the first one. But now, gosh, there's just so many more speakers and leaders and authors in our space than there were even back then. So it's just even a, a more compounded, compelling story. Well, and it's just, you know, as you said, is that I do it different. I look at things differently than other people do because of my journalistic perspective. You know, I'm not trying to find a diet that I can then package and sell you. You know, I want to find out, well, what's the truth behind this? The vegans are saying this. Well, is that true? You know, and if it's not true, we need to know. And and mostly because they're having such uh, a radically in, uh, I think, inappropriate amount of influence on public policy and on, you know, health. I mean, as you know, the mayor of New York now has forced the schools to have meatless Mondays. You know. Oh my this. God! I yeah. are you kidding me? I just no, heard that for the first yeah. time. I think I need to jump off a bridge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just a couple what? weeks ago. You know, and they're all the, and the justification is the same kind of thing about saving the planet and sustainability. You know, without any concern. Well, if they source that meat from that school cafeteria from pasture-raised farms, then they wouldn't be having a problem. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, and it's it's just, you know, it's getting out of control. And, like, uh, you know, I've talked to people and interviewed people for the new film and whatnot. It's just the health ramifications. You you know, you watch What the Health, and they show a mom drinking milk, and they turn her, a pregnant mom, turn her belly orange, like she's just drank some kind of toxic soup, <laughs> right? Right, as a scare tactic. And, you know, but what about the real stories of the real moms who gave birth to really horribly impacted and defective humans that whose lives were ruined because they were following their doctor's recommended vegan diet and they didn't get all of the nutrients that they needed. You know, I think there's other sides to it besides, yeah, people need to understand sustainability and that the figures that are being used in these films are way out of line. Right. And, and paleo is not saying drink cow's milk. You know, we're not saying, Hey, go to town on cow's milk. So, you know, they're already sort of using something that we don't even argue anyway. Well, yeah. Yeah. So I think there's, you know, if we don't get off the dime and elevate our perspective to the same level that the vegans are able to attain and get the same kind of coverage that they're able to, to attain it's the horse is out of the barn. And we're at some point or another, we're going to really be hurting. We're going to have more restrictions on the kind of foods that we do want to eat. You know, the healthy animal foods, there's going to be more taxation. And, and, um, and I don't know, it's, it's, it would be great if people could wake up enough to get on board with this before we get hurt. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, and I, want, and I want to mention too, you know, so every, I mean, everything counts really. Like I, I don't care if it's, you can only donate 10 bucks, 25 bucks. It's really worth donating. And the reason I say that is because as a writer of a documentary, an award-winning one who never got, never got paid, this is always a labor of love. Okay. Well, yeah. and I may someday, it'll be nominal. Documentary films are a labor of love. They are not money makers. People don't do documentaries uh, to, to, to hit it big. These are... Really, again, just, and you've all heard CJ for the past hour, a labor of love to get to the truth about this. And he has a personal story because he dropped dead at 18 and he's, how old are you now, by the way? 65. Right. So he's still here. And um, yeah, you and Mark Sisson are poster guys for what (laughs) 65 should look like. And so anyway, so I I just- We ought to do a poster. 
Yeah, I implore everyone to contribute to this and and look into donating something to help our cause in general, because he's really the right guy to get it out. And if you don't believe that, just go see The Perfect Human Diet, the first one, and you'll and you'll you'll truly understand the impact. Um, what else would you like to leave our audience with? Well, I just go? wanted to mention on what you're saying, if if you are mo- motivated and moved to contribute, is that I don't take any money from that as a salary to pay legal fees, to do any number of things a, a lot of filmmakers might do. And it all goes straight into the hard production costs of making the film. So, you know, you know, every dime that people contribute goes to the film and not into my pocket to keep the lights on. So, and I think that's something that's important distinction. Most to make. people don't know. Yeah. They, so I just want them to feel good about it if they decide to help out. Absolutely. Well, you're one of our favorite guests. Thank you so much for coming on. And we will well, thanks for having me. Thanks. And we'll see everyone next week. Hi, Brad Kearns here with something different than a stiff commercial script message. I want to give you an authentic endorsement for one of my favorite supplements of all time. It's called Adaptogenic Calm. It used to be called Primal Calm. And the key ingredient in this formula is called phosphatidylserine, or PS. And this agent has been shown in hundreds of studies to blunt the catabolic effects of the stress hormone cortisol in the bloodstream that's released in response to all forms of life stress, whether it's a series of difficult workouts, extensive jet travel, personal stress of any kind. We're constantly triggering the fight-or-flight mode in modern life. And when people say, hey, you should take a chill pill, this really is a chill pill. Because when you consume an appropriate amount of phosphatidylserine and the other supportive ingredients that have been known to have a calming effect on the central nervous system, things like magnesium, L-theanine, magnolia bark, and rhodiola, you will get a calming effect. It's not like a stimulant product that makes you feel more energy and have a better workout but instead this sort of takes the edge off of that stress buzz where you feel that foggy brain function maybe a little shaky and finally fried at the end of a busy stressful day this stuff will help you clear your bloodstream from those catabolic stress hormones before they can do the damage so i like to take significant quantities of it in and around stressful events such as jet travel or in those heavy training cycles when you're really pushing your body and trying so hard not to fall into that overtraining, overstress, foggy brain function spiral downward. That's right, phosphatidylserine has also been shown to enhance cognitive function. It's commonly used in Europe on cognitive decline patients. And you can make that connection between when you're frazzled and overstressed and how your brain doesn't work quite as well. So this is a brain function enhancing, stress hormone reducing, secret weapon, adaptogenic calm. Look for it on primalblueprint.com.